Do you ever feel like you're in a never-ending cycle of snacks and meals? We get it. That's why we're excited to share Home Threads, the ultimate solution for creating a stylish and functional family space. At HomeThreads.com, discover furniture that can handle the chaos of family life. From wipeable dining chairs to kitchen tables and light fixtures. Or you can just freshen up your kitchen with trays, counter lamps, decor, and other affordable accents that will help you update your kitchen into a room you love spending time in. Head over to HomeThreads.com slash D-I-J-F-Y, short for Dinner and I Just Feed You, to get a code for 15% off your first order. Because if you're going to be feeding them three times a day, plus snacks, you deserve a home that feeds your style. HomeThreads, love where you live. That's HomeThreads.com backslash D-I-J-F-Y today to get 15% off your first order. This episode is brought to you with support from Whole Foods. As a resident Greek girl, I am a sucker for Mediterranean flavors and want you to taste the Mediterranean too. Go to Whole Foods Market now and save on regionally inspired products through March 19th. Find sales on animal welfare certified meat, including boneless, skinless, air-chilled chicken breast, bone-in beef short ribs, ground lamb, and more. Save on whole bronzini and sustainable wild-caught sockeye salmon. And stock up on Mediterranean essentials like feta cheese crumbles, whole wheat pita pockets, and if you're over 21, wines from Spain, Greece, and Italy. Grab your ingredients and experiment with family-friendly Mediterranean cuisine today. Think Greek-style ground lamb pitas, lemony oven-roasted chicken, or bronzino, or instant pot short ribs braised in wine. All simple and delicious. Taste the Mediterranean now at Whole Foods Market. Stacy, both of us encourage home cooks to make homemade stock whenever possible, since there's nothing quite like its deep, soul-nourishing taste. At the same time, we both know that it's not always realistic to do so. You can say that again, which is why we always have store-bought broth in our pantries. You cannot beat the convenience. But I've got exciting news. Thanks to Zoop Good, really good broth, there's a way to have convenience and that simmered all-day taste. Zoop Good Really Good Broth is a premium line of broth that makes it easy to add rich homemade taste to even the quickest weeknight meals. It's a flavor-forward alternative to many of the packaged broths you find in the supermarket. That's so true. We've both done taste tests for work and can promise. Zoop Good Really Good Broth is a collection of best-in-class, small-batch broths so delicious they're good enough to drink. And everyone is kettle cooked in small batches, as well as paleo friendly and completely free of artificial ingredients, preservatives, hormones, gluten, GMOs, fat, trans fat, and saturated fat. Woo! Their lineup includes a range of chicken, veggie, and beef broths, bone broths, and a brand new seafood broth and a spicy chicken bone broth that I cannot stop sipping on for a quick mama lunch. Visit zoopbroth.com or at Zoop Good Really Good on Instagram for recipe ideas. Zoop Good Really Good Broth can be found at many retailers across the country, such as Walmart, Sprouts, and Kroger, plus online at walmart.com and zoopbroth.com. Or order from Amazon and be sure to use Feed You Zoop to get 20% off your order. Our primary goal as parents is to ensure the optimal growth and well-being of our children. And so to eliminate something that's such a standard part of our diets can feel overwhelming and daunting. And the short answer is plant-based diets, including entirely plant-based vegan vegetarian diets, are safe and adequate for growing children. 
Welcome to Didn't I Just Feed You, a podcast about feeding kids. Hi, I'm Stacy, And I'm Megan. Before we get into this week's episode, don't forget to subscribe right now, right where you're listening. And if you find yourself with an extra moment, leave us a rating or a review too. Those ratings help other busy parents and home cooks find us. I thought you said leave us a raving or review. I was like, what's a raving? They Honestly, have to I'll rave about raving. that. If you I want a rant, I'll take that. <laughs> Any sort of feedback. I've said often to like managers and employers, like my love language is words of affirmation. And so the more feedback that you can give me about how awesome I am or if I'm not doing awesome. I really soak that up. It's something I need desperately. So yeah, ranting, ravings, reviews, ratings, whatever you got, we'll take it. Wow, that's the most powerful (laughs) approach you've taken to getting ratings (laughs) and reviews. I'm here for it. I'm here for it. I'm here for it. I'm here for it. So listen, Megan, this is a very exciting episode, and it's something a little bit different in that it's part of a series. We're kicking off a little mini-series, right? Yeah, it isn't that different, though, in some ways, because it is a most requested topic from our listeners, which is about plant-based diets, about vegetarianism, veganism. We're, We're kind of covering all the bases through a couple episodes that will air throughout the year. But this one is really cool because we're kicking it off with a very special interview. Yeah, so we wanted to explore going plant-based with kids from all different perspectives, whether you want to go in hardcore, whether you just want to dabble, maybe you're curious. So we're working hard to get guests who can share all those different perspectives, but we felt like the right place to start was with some real experts to talk to us about the nutrition and kind of the science and health behind going plant-based with kids. And we've brought on two very exciting guests who've written a new book called Nourish, the Definitive Plant-Based Nutrition Guide for Families. How perfect is that? Our first guest is Reshma Shah. She is an affiliate clinical instructor at Stanford University's School of Medicine and has been a practicing pediatrician for nearly 20 years. Reshma received her undergraduate and graduate degrees from Johns Hopkins University and her medical degree from Drexel University College of Medicine. Brenda Davis, Reshma's co-author, is a registered dietitian and widely regarded as a rock star of plant-based nutrition. Veg News called her the godmother of vegan dietitians. She's been a featured speaker at medical and nutrition conferences in over 20 countries on five continents and is the author of 11 books on vegetarian and vegan nutrition. Let's welcome Reshma and Brenda. So, ladies, one of the biggest questions we get is whether or not it is safe to feed a kid a plant-based diet. And it's just really interesting to me that people don't ask if it's healthy. It's really a concern about safety that parents have when it comes to dropping animal protein from their kid's diet. So let's start there. Is it safe for kids, especially little ones, to just eat a plant-based diet? So I would say that it parents have a good reason to be concerned because our primary goal as parents is to ensure the optimal growth and well-being of our children. And so to eliminate something that's such a standard part of our diets can feel overwhelming and daunting. And the short answer is plant-based diets, including entirely plant-based vegan vegetarian diets, are safe and adequate for growing children. 
the most important thing to remember is that these diets, like any diet that you're, you're feeding a child, needs to be appropriately planned. And we can certainly talk about what those special considerations need to be. But we know from studies and following children's growth that plant-based children, including vegan children, can achieve adequate growth and thrive. Yes, and I'll, it's Brenda, I'll just add in a, a little bit there that I think it's it's wonderful for parents to know that in 2016, the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics, which is the largest, most well-respected group of nutrition experts in the world, uh, put out a position statement to that effect. So it basically says appropriately planned vegetarian, including vegan diets are healthful, nutritionally adequate, and it may even provide health benefits for the prevention and treatment of diseases and that, that these diets are appropriate for all stages of the life cycle, including pregnancy and lactation and infancy and childhood and adolescence and so on. And so if if your, your healthcare provider is somewhat uh, reluctant or uh, you know about your your wanting to raise your child on a plant-based diet that is a really good document it's free online you can download it and share it with your healthcare provider oh that's such a great resource so i do want us to get into what are the main nutritional considerations because you both used this word planned and i imagine that that's very intentional so let's talk about that but also, I want us to keep in the back of our heads, you know, the best laid plans fall apart when feeding kids, you know, especially picky eaters, budgets change, you know, your access to food might change. So let's let's talk about the whole thing <laughs> from the top. Yeah. So I think, you know, it's a combination of not making things overly complicated, because if you tell parents that on top of your busy schedules and cooking and all the meal prep, now you have to really pay very careful attention to all these nutrients. You can understand why parents would feel overwhelmed. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for saying so. Yeah. Definitely. So it's a balance of, yes, plan appropriately, but it does not have to be overwhelming. And one of the things that I have to often remind parents, fellow healthcare professionals, is that children can suffer nutrient deficiencies. And I've said this often, that as a pediatrician, I've treated kids for iron deficiency anemia. I've seen kids with rickets from vitamin D deficiency. I've seen kids with growth failure. None of those kids were following vegan diets. So it is true that you need to use a little bit of planning and a little bit of preparation, but it's no more so than you would feed any child an appropriate diet. And we can certainly talk about some of the specific nutrients, but the key thing is offering kids a variety of foods, and you don't have to measure it every breakfast, every lunch, but it's offering kids a variety of foods from the different food groups throughout the day. And then in certain instances, taking care to provide children with specific fortified foods and when they're indicated supplements. And oftentimes people feel, well, if my diet requires supplementation or fortification, that must mean that it's not a good diet to follow. And the reality is, is that our food system is heavily fortified with nutrients, but it's based on an omnivorous diet. So we fortify cow's milk with uh, vitamin D because rickets is a real thing. And now we know that vitamin D is necessary for bone health. So we fortify cow's milk with uh, vitamin D. We fortify grains with folic acid. We fortify infant cereal with iron. So fortification exists. And with plant-based diets, you just have to make sure that you are including some of these fortified foods and that you're using appropriate supplements when they're indicated. And Brenda can definitely talk about some of the specific details, but it's not meant to be overwhelming. And with once you get used to it and you sort of develop a routine around it, it really becomes 
quite easy and not difficult to do at all. And and I want to add, I, I, I just got out of a meeting with a physician from Italy, like five minutes before this discussion. And at the end of our meeting, we were talking about nutritional adequacy of plant-based diets, and she became vegan when her children were very young. And she said uh, she became sort of the physician for vegans in her area and has dealt with hundreds and hundreds of vegan children now. She said when she first started, she was absolutely paranoid. She would measure, you know, the legumes and, and, and the grains and make sure that that you know her kids were eating a certain amount and if they ate only half of the serving she would be all concerned she said now after dealing with hundreds of vegan children who are thriving and doing super well and not having to be so picky uh, she's much more relaxed than she used to be and and i think the point here is that you know vegan diets are still in, on trial in the eyes of the world because we don't have entire generations that have grown up vegan yet. And as we get more and more uh, studies completed and we're seeing uh, these uh, now children that have been raised vegan from birth who are adults now and thriving and are brilliant and doing all sorts of wonderful things, I think we're, we're beginning to be a little more relaxed. But nonetheless, there are nutrients that we have to be concerned with that are different than the nutrients you have to be concerned with if you're omnivorous. So with an omnivorous diet, well, fiber is an issue, potassium's an issue, possibly, you know, vitamin C and folic acid and the list, or folate, and the list goes on. Well, with, with a vegan child, you, you want to be concerned with vitamin B12 and making sure they've got a source of iodine. And it's just different issues that arise. One thing that parents can do if they are feeling uh, anxious about these issues is just finding a good quality multivitamin that can kind of cover your bases. Because as you mentioned, you know, our kids' intakes can vary from day to day and from meal to meal, and no one's going to sit there and precisely measure all these nutrients. So it can provide families with a little bit of insurance. Exactly. And, and you know, that's the why, that's why Dr. Shaw and I wrote Nourish, is <laughs> because uh, right now, you know, uh, there, there was really a hole in the literature as far as we were concerned. There wasn't a really comprehensive guide for plant-based parents. And we wanted to provide a resource that was reliable, that covered the details and would help parents to, um, you know, achieve what they're trying to achieve uh, in terms of nutrition and health for their children. I love that you mentioned a multivitamin because I think that that's something that a lot of parents are doing anyways. Are there in general other supplements that you sort of direct people towards? And can we talk a little bit about how parents can prep their pantry to move towards like an either entirely or primarily plant-based diet with kids? I think being prepared and arming yourself for success is really important. And what that means is whatever works best for your family. Uh, in, you know, in our family, I think a little bit of menu planning and grocery planning really makes the week a lot easier for me. If you're not ready to go 100% plant-based, what you can do is just stock up on plant-based staples and try to weave them into your regular diet. So things like whole grains and beans, um, experimenting with tofu and tempeh and even some of these veggie meats. For some families, it means just starting at breakfast. So it does not have to be overly complicated, making sure you have some oatmeal or or um, making a tofu scramble. Those are easy things to do. So I think just start buying more plant-based foods that you can 
begin to incorporate into your diet and beans and whole grains are a great place to start. We also already have several episodes on like how to prepare beans for your family and grains and sort of like those bowl foods that are easy to pull off. And so there are a lot of ideas already that exist for how to do this without really having to rethink the way that we think about feeding our family. So what about those supplements? What would you recommend that plant-based parents keep on hand for their kids? Well, for infants, uh, all infants require a vitamin D supplement uh, from shortly after birth uh, of about 400 IUs a day. And then the other thing that the American Academy of Pediatrics recommends is that we start providing infants with iron, about a milligram per kilogram, beginning at about four months of age for full-term infants only uh, until recommended intakes are met with solid foods. Now, for preterm infants, it's different because full-term infants are born with iron stores that will last about four to six months. Preterm infants are born with almost no iron stores at all. Otherwise, uh, the, the babies will get plenty of nutrients from breast milk when mother is reasonably uh, well-nourished and includes a source of B12 in her diet. Yeah, in terms of the iron and vitamin D, it's the, it's the same for all children, not yeah. just vegan or plant-based children. It's all children need those two supplements. Right. And, and formula-fed children, if they're on an iron-fortified uh, formula, uh, they don't need any supplements at all because the vitamin D is there and the iron's there. And what about for older kids, though? Are there supplements, especially if you have like a young athlete who's very active? Is there any like supplements that you would keep on hand for busy seasons? So other children, you still want to make sure there's a source of vitamin D. And and what's recommended is 600 IUs per day from one year of age until you're 70. So that's the amount they need. And then B12 uh, will range. Uh, if you're doing, you can do a daily supplement or you can do B12 twice a week. And it will range from about 250 micrograms to 1000 micrograms, depending on the age of the child for the twice a week amount. And, and that's a pretty easy way of doing things. Um, the other nutrients that you want to think about are iodine, which isn't on very many people's radar. But the issue with iodine is that most of the iodine in the diet of omnivores comes from milk, it comes from seafood like fish, and it comes from eggs. And, and um, when we eliminate all of those foods, the main sources left in the diet are iodized salt and seaweed. And not a lot of families eat much seaweed. So right. then, you know, it's iodized salt. And a lot of vegan families don't use iodized salt because they think iodized salt's not healthy, it's too processed. So they use, you know, um, Himalayan pink sea salt or, or some other fancy salt that doesn't contain iodine. And so iodine can be an issue if, if that's the case. Now you can get iodine from seaweed. For example, kelp powder has enough iodine for an adult in a 16th of a teaspoon. Whoa. So so it's about 150 micrograms wow. in a 16th of a teaspoon. So it's a tiny sprinkle is all you would need. The concern with kelp powder is that the upper limit for iodine is it's it's about 1100 micrograms for for adults. And it's even uh, significantly lower uh, for children. So you're looking at you know, 300 micrograms or something <laughs> like that. So it's not, it, it's like 
an eighth of a teaspoon and a child wow. can be okay. at the upper limit for iodine uh, with kelp powder. So we have to be really careful if we're using seaweeds that we're not overdoing the seaweeds. Now, a lot of children like those little packages of nori. Yes. And and nori, the, you know, the big sheets of nori for making. Now, nori is not as concentrated in iodine, so you don't have to worry about o- overdosing on iodine with nori. You might get 40 to maybe 100 micrograms in a serving of nori, but not much more than that. So it's not a big issue. And then the other things to think about are EPA and DHA, which are the long chain omega-3 fatty acids. Uh, this is a, a little more controversial, but but Dr. Shaw and I both feel that it, it's a very reasonable thing for parents to do. And, and the amounts would range, it, it's around 100 milligrams a day that you would provide a child going up to maybe you know, 150 or 200 for a teenager. And then of course, multivitamins are always uh, an option as well. And they can be very helpful in in meeting nutrient needs, especially for picky eaters. (laughs) Yes, which you know is gonna be one of our questions. I think the other thing that we need to talk about is grocery budget. Do most folks who start a primarily plant-based diet, do they find that they are spending more or less on groceries? Is there like some sort of sweet spot between you're spending less on groceries, but then you're sort of like supplementing a little bit with other things? Or is there like a learning curve to cooking plant-based that makes the switch a little more expensive to start, but less expensive later? I think it's all of those things. A lot of it is going to depend on how comfortable you feel cooking for your family and what sorts of foods you're purchasing. So the staples of plant-based eating are incredibly inexpensive or can be incredibly inexpensive. When you think of a lot of the impoverished countries that don't have a lot of you know money to spend on food, they're not eating a lot of animal products because they're expensive. So if you're eating things like beans and grains and even tofu, it can be quite inexpensive when you compare it to a lot of the equivalent animal-based products. Now, buying you know, in bulk and using dried beans, all of those things can significantly cut down on the expense. It can be a little bit more time consuming. So it's a balance of sort of time and budget. Now, if you get into some of the more sort of fancier plant-based products, like the veggie meats and the cheeses and all of those things, the money can actually add up quite quickly. So I think the way that I encourage people to sort of explore this, um, if, if they're on a budget, especially if you have the time to be able to sort of cook some of those dry beans and grains, um, and then maybe you can splurge every now and then on some of the more interesting plant-based products like the veggie meats and cheeses and things like that. So I think it's just finding your comfort zone. The more comfortable you become with cooking, uh, for sure, the less expensive it's going to be because um, you're doing all the work and preparing the food. And that really applies to an omnivore diet as well. I oh, mean, absolutely. the more you cook your staples. So I do have a question, though, about some of those more expensive plant-based meats and cheeses. You know, I have had a lot of questions about some of the plant-based meats, because when I look at the nutrition label, I don't necessarily, the way that I look at a label, and I've been trained from an omnivore's perspective for sure, it doesn't seem particularly healthier to me. 
it still feels like something that you would want to eat every once in a while, maybe like tons of fat. Yes. For and example, there are two things you have to keep in mind with these, some of these more processed plant-based foods. And those two things are the ingredient list and how heavily processed it is. Like you can certainly find veggie burgers in the freezer that, you know, in the freezer section that are made of beans and whole grains and things like yes. that. And yep. so look at the ingredient list. And then the second thing would be how often you eat them, you know? So I think that some of these more processed plant-based meat products like you that you mentioned. That um, is what I'm, I'm thinking of those bleeding plant-based yes, meats. And I think the way I look at it is those are kind of foods that you can enjoy from time to time, but you definitely, you know, probably don't want them to be a staple in the diet. Just as and it's not that different from an omnivorous diet. You know, right, ice cream exactly, is yep. delicious, but you probably, you know, it's like a treat and you sort of have it with the frequency that your family feels comfortable with. And I think those the plant-based meats um, have added so much flexibility and have made this way of eating so much more accessible to a lot of people. If I tell someone you can never eat a hamburger, that might seem overwhelming or really hard. But it's if they sad. Can, yeah, but if they can, and sad, but if they can go out to dinner and, you know, they're out with friends and at a burger place and there's an impossible burger on the yeah. menu... It makes it just so much easier. And I think families like that are more likely to say, hey, if I can go out and enjoy a burger, I can definitely do the plant-based thing at home as well. So I think how often you serve these foods and how heavily processed they are, a combination of those two things is kind of the way I approach it. And it's, you know, it's also about that food joy thing that we're not only eating for nutrition and to optimize our nutrition, but, you know, when you go out and everybody's having a burger and there isn't an option for you and you're used to eating burgers and that's something you crave or, you know, you enjoy, it feels like you lose out on some food joy. It feels like a bummer that way. So I totally understand how they've opened up options. Yes. And I'd love to add to that because I think that you know, it's it's definitely true that some of these products are, are are quite highly processed, and if we contrast them to a a regular burger, though, there's still differences and there's still benefits. So, for example, if we you know we compare the whatever burger you you want to a to a veggie burger, it's kinder to animals. It produces probably ninety percent fewer greenhouse gas emissions. And it's healthier, even though it's a highly processed food. It's lower in saturated fat. It doesn't contain trans fats. It's cholesterol-free. It doesn't contain any of the pro-inflammatory molecule NU5GC. It doesn't form TMAO, which is a highly atherogenic compound that's formed from eating meat. There's no added hormones or antibiotics. There's You don't produce heterocyclic amines when you cook it like you do with meat, which is a carcinogen. Uh, you know, it's it, the the plant burgers have fiber. They they have some phytochemicals. There are still advantages over regular meat, in my view. And you know, something that I'm hearing you both talk about throughout this conversation, you haven't said this, but this is something I'm interpreting that you know, not to just have a knee jerk reaction to this idea of processed foods, fortified foods, that they're a part of our system. And if we understand where they fit in our diet, and again, look at kind of have an equation for ourselves about how frequently, what does it offer to our diet, nutritionally speaking, what brings us food joy, and kind of figuring out that balance for ourselves, no matter how you're eating, these are all options available to us. And no food is just inherently good or bad. I think you stated that beautifully. And it's one of the things that we really worked um, to emphasize in the book, which is that 
food is absolutely meant to nourish our families. We want to promote health, but it's also about connecting around our dinner tables, having joy around food, and especially with children. You don't want to take an approach that's overly rigid or restrictive because we, we know that, you know, the more that you restrict or have your kids not eat certain foods, the, they become so much more tempting. So it is within an individual family, finding that sense of joy and balance and nutrition. We love that. Okay, one last question, which I feel like is the trickiest question. <laughs> yeah, here we go. Because it's about those picky eaters. Like, what do you do if your child is resistant? Let's talk about tips for getting kids excited about plant-based eating and also, like, tactful ways not to force the issue and give them some autonomy over what they're eating, too. So I think the best thing that parents can do um, is to kind of model the behavior themselves. So if you are excited about eating a juicy mango or tasting the first strawberries of the season or a roasted broccoli, all these things, if your kids see you enjoying it, they're more likely to want to try it themselves. And I think our job really as parents is to offer them a variety of foods in a calm, peaceful, joyful environment and let them do the eating. And the more that we back off, I think the more likely they are to try these foods. And it takes a lot of patience. It takes a lot of persistence. But at the end of the day, if we use patience, love, and joy, I think our kids are more likely to eat these foods away from our dinner tables. The more that we bribe, push, force, scream, yell, whatever the case may be, I think the more likely that they're not going to enjoy these foods um, when they're making their own food choices, when they're away from our dinner tables. Absolutely. And and one of the things I think is really important when uh, when we think about nurturing a healthy relationship with food is to engage our children. We want to engage them in food selection. If we're at the market, let them pick out the carrots or whatever it is, or some vegetable that they might want to try. Get them in the kitchen cooking with you. Children just love to pour and stir and chop and shake and do all of those things. Uh, grow foods with your kids, even if it's not a garden outside, if it's just some herbs or sprouts or something indoors, that's fine too. And then the other thing is to really make family meals a priority and make keep the atmosphere. I, I love what, what uh, Dr. Shaw was talking about is something we call um, the DOR, the Division of Responsibility, which was created by Ellen Sater. And, and that Division of Responsibility is, is really about a kind of the parents having the leadership where food is concerned and the child having the autonomy. So the parents, we decide what and when and where of food and the children decide how much they're going to eat, even if they're going to eat at all. And then we let them, that's their realm. And, and I think that's really important. And and also the, the modeling, I think, is just hugely, hugely important. When we're joyful about preparing and eating a certain food, uh, it's contagious. And so uh, I, our children will learn from us. And I, you know, I love that you brought up the division of labor because I have an 11-year-old and a 14-year-old. And I'm not kidding, just this week... I brought it back to play. I was like, I didn't think I was going to ever have to use this anymore. But through quarantine, eating habits have really shifted and so have our activity patterns. So, you know, I was finding myself, you know, kind of nagging and doing things that I know don't work and are actually counterproductive with my kids, like being more restrictive about their snacks and like, where are you going? Did you eat your vegetables at lunch? And you know, it just started to feel out of control. And they, I could tell they were starting to feel like, ugh, like, you know, she's all over us about food. 
And I just reset and was like, listen, I decide what and when you guys decide whether and how much. And we haven't talked about it since. And it was such a good reminder. So on that note, I know Megan said that was our last question, but I'm notorious for always adding one little more. Just any quick tips for teens and older kids who are curious about a vegan or a plant-based diet, whether or not we want to join them on that journey. It feels like there'd be slightly different, you know, concerns, including, to be completely honest, like where did their curiosity get peaked? Is it for health? Is it for body image? It's just such a like hot thing on social media that they're exposed to. Uh, Stacey, I'm so glad you asked that question. And I think one of the things that you said just completely hit the nail on the head, which is being curious about their intentions. And I know that as parents, like you never stop worrying about your children. Um, And so we definitely worry about their nutrition in infancy. And I think it sort of peaks again in adolescence as they're making a lot of independent food choices. I think absolutely be curious about their intentions. Are they concerned about the environment? Are they concerned about um, factory farming? These are all really wonderful and noble causes. And I absolutely think that parents should be curious and join their children when they come to them. Oh, you know, as a pediatrician, I actually often have seen, you know, it's the children that want to be plant-based or vegetarian or vegan. And the parents sometimes will freak out thinking, this is not safe. What does this mean? And I think start with curiosity, have a conversation with your child, and then get your child involved in the process. And for some parents, it's really overwhelming at the thought of like, I have to feed my family this meal and then now I have to do something separate for my vegetarian or vegan child. Yes. And you can just, you know, one of the things is if the whole family's not ready to go on board, what you can do is make the whole meal and then just sub out, like instead of chicken, you'll serve some tofu. Instead of, you know, beef, you'll serve some chickpeas. And you can do easy swaps um, so that you're not making two different meals for the whole family. And if your child, especially your teenager, is the one leading the efforts, let them be responsible for cooking yes. a meal or two for the family. I mean, I I think that's a great way to introduce the family to these ideas and go in a stepwise process, support your child and absolutely lead with curiosity. I think that when you go to your child and you say, I think this is a bad idea, where are you going to get your protein? It's the end of the conversation. But if you sit down and say, well, tell me more about it. And oftentimes if they've seen a documentary or seen something on social media, it can be an opportunity to really engage your child. And when you show your child that you are curious about um, what they're seeing, what they're learning, they're more likely to open up and have a, a real conversation with you about it. I agree. And if it's really not about, you know, wanting to do something better for the earth, if there is some sort of issue there, like I'm thinking about my 14 year old who, you know, is very athletic and admires all of these, you know, famous athletes. If there's a pressure he's feeling, that curiosity can lead to a conversation where you can find out what's really going on. Absolutely. Take it from there. That is so helpful. Thank you so much for joining us today. This was such a great conversation. I feel like we could have you back five more times to dig in deeper. We would There's be happy so to many come questions back. about this. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Stacy, one of the things that I loved so much about our conversation with Reshma and Brenda is that even as someone who does not really have an interest in a plant-based diet, I feel like I also learned a lot about an omnivore's diet, you know, from everything from yes. supplements and nutrition and like what what there is to consider about nutrition as a parent. I'm really struck 
by how much this conversation revealed about how we treat the default, right? So being an omnivore is kind of the default setting in our country, in many countries. But, you know, speaking about the American diet, it's it's the default. And so we think, you know, we don't have to think about it. But in actuality... You know, every diet requires a little bit of intention and planning depending on what your concerns are. And it's really no different. You're just kind of shifting the things you have to think about. You know, instead of thinking about vitamin D, you know, if you're an omnivore feeding kids, you have to think about vitamin B12. You know, it's really not that difficult, actually. It's more of a mindset shift. Yes. And even though we didn't touch on this, I think this is like a really important note. And we can link to the kitchen article that sort of explains this. But, you know, for the last five years or so, there has been this, dare I say, obsession with protein. Like people are worried that they're not getting enough protein if they're not constantly eating chicken and tofu and red meat. But the truth is that like all food contains some protein, and so it's it's really the, it's really interesting to talk to these experts about a plant based diet and like not even have the subject of protein come up because they just know that if you're feeding your family a variety of foods, they're they're going to get protein. You don't even have to overthink it. I have to tell you that I've been I've been a vegetarian, but I was not a very um, well balanced one. So I was a vegetarian Mm -hmm. in high school exactly for the reasons that Reshma was talking about. You know, I think it was I joined the PETA group in high school and, you know, something like that. I was one of those kids who was in like Amnesty International and making signs and protesting. (laughs) And I remember being like, I'm done with meat. My father owned a steakhouse My family is Greek. Like, if you don't eat the goat, like, what is wrong with you? You know, it's like, huh? But I ended up going to college a vegetarian and literally living off of ramen and pasta. I did not feel great. It was not particularly well balanced. But I do have a curiosity, and it'd be interesting now to kind of introduce that to my family because I think that there would only be one person in my family who'd have a really hard time with it. And that's my 14-year-old who just I was going to say, it's definitely Isaac. Yes. Like he can't, the thought of it is like bizarre to him. He doesn't understand. Yeah. I think it's so interesting that you were a vegetarian for a time because when I was a kid, my mom was vegetarian for about 11 years. Wow, that's a long time. And she didn't always, like, we would have hamburger helper with ground mm-hmm. meat or, like, the tuna noodle casserole. And I, you know, we don't we haven't talked about this at length, but some of it, I'm sure, is, like, tied to diet culture for my mom because that's very important to her, her, her weight and mm-hmm. her shape. But also, she was raising three kids on on her, like, single mom budget and working. And I think that she also did it consciously as a way to save money. So it was kind of nice to hear that a plant-based diet truly can be a cost saver. And more recently, as we talked about in our our recent budget meal planning episode, like we're spending so much money on groceries right now that we've been really incorporating like a lot more plant-based recipes into our meal plan because it's one of those ways that we can cut costs without like 
completely sacrificing flavors or cravings. And, you know, I had a period of time a couple of years ago where I was really committed to more plant-based meals and reducing the amount of meat we were eating, both for health reasons and also for budget reasons, because I had committed to only buying meat from sources that I knew and I trusted. And that gets really expensive really expensive. So I really find that people desperately want, like, what are those recipes that are just the ones that are going to work and my kids are going to like and it's magic? And just like everything else, there is no magic recipe. And it was really hard, even for me, with everything that I know and the amount that I cook, to come up with plant-based meals that were satisfying to all of my guys and that everybody liked. It was hard And it really got easier with time, not with any particular recipe or anyone attaching to any particular set of ingredients. It really was just exposure and doing it again and again and again and seeing what works, seeing what people responded to. So I would say if you're curious, you know, starting to just play with plant-based cooking is really important. And, you know, to Reshma's point, is also going to help you save money in the long run because if you're just relying solely on those plant-based shortcuts, you're going to end up spending a ton. Word up. And hey, I think this is one of those times where our listeners group is going to be a huge resource. I know that we have several vegetarian families in there. We have a few vegan families. And so we should start a thread of recipes that have worked for everyone. And maybe we'll do a mini episode as a follow-up because I think sometimes it feels overwhelming to not know where to start and recipes are just like a really easy way and if you and if someone can be like hey i tried this tofu recipe with my family and my kids liked xyz about it then exclusive recipe plus our pick of the week every single week you can subscribe at didn't i just feed you.com or follow the link in our instagram bio to get there and speaking of instagram you can also find us there and on facebook as at didn't i just feed you just keep in mind that the real Facebook fun is happening in that private Facebook listeners community that Megan was just talking about. The answer to be let in is whiskey. You'll understand when you try to join us. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to Didn't I Just Feed You wherever you get your podcasts so that you don't miss a single episode. Our music is Good Old Times by Alex Cohen, provided by Jamendo. A huge thank you to our editor, Samantha Gatsik. I'm Megan. And I'm Stacy. Stay sane and well-fed until next week. My favorite kind of food is probably um, bacon, which I'm kind of sad about bacon because um, I like pigs, but I feel very sad that people turn pigs into bacon.